In Luke chapter 1, I want to talk just the next few weeks, if God gives grace, um, that, um, about the advent of the Lord and how his first coming, how that happened, and particularly how the Holy Spirit and angels were involved in that process. It's quite a dramatic thing that happens. You read the Gospels and you come out of the, if you would just start there, you come out of the gate, you're like, oh my gosh, the Bible is just constantly supernatural stuff. But that's not really the truth. Uh, I mean, it's not really the reality all the time. Actually, the coming of the Messiah, which is the core of Judaism, the, the, the praying for and waiting, and they're still waiting in Israel for the Messiah to come. They've missed that. We believe prophetically, Romans 10, that their eyes are going to be unveiled soon and they're going to see that the Messiah had already come. But um, that, that process, they had had promises, prophecies, and centuries of prayer waiting for the Messiah to come. So when he breaks in, they've already been generationally waiting for the Christ to come. It had been so long that they're steeped in some religion, steeped in the system of waiting for him so much that they missed him when he came. It's a stunning, really, reality that everything Israel was about was the Messiah coming. And when he came with such power and glory, and we will give it to them that there was some ways that seemed odd, the way that Jesus was manifesting, but they just completely missed it. There never been anyone, prophet, Bible writer of any kind that had done what Jesus did. You know, I mean, all the miracles and signs and wonders, much less the death and the resurrection of what he did, and then starting a movement on planet Earth. It was amazing. And so, um, there had been a long time waiting for that, and we're in the middle of a long time waiting. I want to parallel because I'm a second coming guy, and I'm a, I want you to know this. I'm into the end times because I'm into Jesus, I'm not into the end times because I'm into the, oh, what is it like? And what, even some of it seems uncomfortable to me, terribly uncomfortable to a papa who's got some kids. But I'm really into the end times because Jesus is into the end times. I mean, it's, it's the, a predominant subject of the whole Bible. The first coming, there are 330-something prophecies about the first coming of Christ. But there are 600 to 900, depending on how you count, about the second coming of Christ. This was the predominant prophetic consciousness of Israel was really the realities of the second coming, where the Messiah would come as a global ruler, and he would bring justice and bring an end to evil, and he would break the power of the enemy, and he would bring uh, uh, healing and life eternal for his people. I mean, Isaiah 26 had prophesied that the veil of death, 700 years before Jesus, the veil of death that lays across our race is going to be torn. It's going to be rent. Well, they were longing for that, and Jesus comes and obviously fulfills that impartiality in his own self, but he has a plan for what's called a church age. So we're now 2,000 years out from the second coming, the second advent, if you will. That's what that word means, of Christ. And so we've been waiting a while. I believe that we're at the end of the end of the end of the end because of multiple arguments I've made with you before. And even if I'm wrong, this is a great way to waste time. It's a great way to waste time hoping for the return of Jesus Christ. And so um, we're going to get him one way or the other, and um, I'm hoping we'll get him on a horse breaking through the eastern sky. So, but the first advent has some similarities to the second advent, and the first advent has some similarities to your life. It was an amazing supernatural story 
but it really happens in the context of crazy weakness, as God always chose. And even if he didn't have a situation in weakness, he'd make it go weak like Gideon. I mean, he'll wait, Abram, you're going to be a dad at 75. And he waits till he's as good as dead, almost 100, <laughs> before he breaks through. I mean, that's a God who's into getting all the glory, if you will, and making sure you know it was his grace. Gideon, you got too many army people with you, and he whittles him down. You know the stories. And so the Lord loves those places of weakness, and why I love that is because I'm steeped in it. I'm steeped in weakness. I wish I was stronger. I wish I was bolder. I wish I didn't have so much concern for what people think and pain in my body and my mortality. I, I wish I didn't, but I do. But God, in the middle of all my weakness, comes and does amazing things, and he does that in the midst of yours. The first advent preaches this to us. So let's pick up with this story in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. And you'll remember the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, or Zacharias is how it's in the Hebrew. But let me just read this, and if we just read it alone, that would be enough, but I will make some comments. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah, or Zacharias, your note will say, of the division of Abijah, which means he was of the Levitical priesthood, by the way. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, which again means she's from the Levite's line, and her name was Elizabeth. They both were righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and we don't know what this means, but they were both advanced in years. So what's that mean back then? Is that 40? Is that 50, 60, 90? We don't know, okay? But they're old people, okay? And enough time has gone by in probably decades that everyone's feeling sorry for them for how barren they are, and they feel bad about it in a certain level of brokenness, I'm sure. Verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord, and he was going to burn the incense. So he'd enter into the temple, go through the outer court area, kind of, and then go into the holy place, and he would burn incense on the altar of incense that would rise there, and that's worth another study. But in verse 10, and the whole multitude, as he was doing this, the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So there's a prayer culture happening. Everyone's praying out there as he goes in and does this thing that actually symbolizes prayer. Uh, David said in Psalms 142, may my prayer be as an incense before you. And there appeared to him while he's doing this an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense at verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled. I wonder if that's an understatement in Greek. When he saw him and fear fell on him, what does an angel of the Lord look like? You're in there doing your thing, getting everything together. You'd been taught it. We don't know if he'd done it before. There he is. And startlingly, startlingly oh, I can't even say the word. Anyway, in an amazing way, the, the angel appears and manifests. Was there sound? Was there brightness? Was there light? I, we don't know. But either way, it shocks him at a major level in his soul. So the angel said to him, do not be afraid, as usually angels always said, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call his name John. So there's people praying out there, and what we find out here is that Zechariah 
felt for his wife, felt for himself. And he'd been praying over and over, who knows how long, God, give us a baby. Can we get a baby? Please give us a baby. The year goes by, no baby. He prays it again, the year goes by. Year after year after year after year of delay and prayer and not getting seemingly what he thought he wanted and what they needed. But the angel says, your prayer's been heard. I bet he would say to him, your prayer like to Daniel, it was heard the first time you prayed it. But this is an appointed hour right now. You thought you needed a baby back then, but I needed to tell a story, and my timetable's better than your timetable, I believe, is what the Lord's saying, and he's saying to all of us. Verse 14, and you will have joy, and you'll have gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Yes, we get a baby. This is going to be awesome. But then it goes on. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's not normal Judean birth history right there, okay? So he gets the information, you're going to get a kid like you want, but it's more than that, Zechariah. Listen, I love the verse in, Hebrew, in Ephesians chapter 3, the last verse, 20, 21. It says that he gives us above and beyond all we ask or imagine. This is an above and beyond kind of thing. Zechariah prayed for a kid. He's about to get John the Baptist. He prayed and there was delay, and there's barrenness, but it's all a setup for something great. You prayed for this right here. I'm going to give you this. I tell you, your God wants to amplify your prayers. And some of his delay is actually setting this thing up for a bigger glory. I promise you that's true. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even from his mama's womb, he's going to have a powerful experience. Verse 16. And he will do this. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, to the Lord their God, to Yahweh. And he'll go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, which must have made Zach, Elijah, I mean, he was a, a rock star in Israel history. And he's saying, your baby is going to be filled with the spirit. And he's going to move in the anointing and the power of Elijah, the guy who called fire down from heaven and defeated those Oh, that's amazing. And he'll turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord, the Messiah, would have been the understanding of people prepared. So he's basically saying to him, you're going to have an anointed kid. When will he be anointed? In the womb. During gestation, he's going to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. He'll come out, going to be an unusual kid. He's going to have a mandate on him to actually bring people back to the Lord and prepare the way for the Messiah. That'd be big news about a baby coming, wouldn't it? And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Listen, what years of delay in prayer and barrenness had done to Zechariah is it had calcified unbelief around his heart. That's what can happen to us when we're waiting, 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 and barrenness is all we're getting. Unbelief begins to come in, and he speaks out in unbelief like basically is what he's saying, this is impossible. This is, there's no way. It's too late. She's too old. I'm too old. This can't happen. The angel does not have a great response to this. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, and I bet this resonated through his being. Because, I mean, I, the, the, there's energy here. I am Gabriel. I mean, that. I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. 
which is basically, how in the world can you disbelieve me? <laughs> this is where I stand, literally in the presence of Yahweh. That's where I've been dwelling, except when I communicated with Daniel a little bit back in the book of Daniel. So Gabriel, I'm Gabriel, the one you read about with Daniel, and I was in the presence of God, and I'm sent to speak to you and to bring this good news, which is gospel. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their time. So the man who's going to be the father of the one who's called a voice, does everybody know that's the prophecy? A voice crying in the wilderness is about John. He's going to release the biggest talker on planet Earth ever is not going to talk for nine months. You will not speak anymore because I want no more words of unbelief coming out of your mouth until the birth of this miracle that comes. I don't think God's mad at him. I don't think the angel's mad at him. I think he's protecting him from himself, honestly. I think he's saying, we don't want unbelief around this thing. We want faith being spoken out. So, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. I mean, what, did Zechariah fly away? Was there a sound? Is he changing underwear? I mean, this had to be a big moment. I mean, a big moment that shocked you and startled you. But he finally comes out, and he was unable to speak to them, and they, they realized he had seen a vision from what he was communicating to them, and he kept making signs, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home, and after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among the people. They're having a nine-month relationship, and Zachariah's not talking anymore. He's not talking. They're having to communicate through signs and signals while they're in the middle of a miracle happening in her womb. That's an amazing deal. She's, they not only have been barren, now they feel very limited. And he's, he's watching this. You know his faith grew. Oh, my gosh, she's pregnant. She came in with the little Judea, from Judean villains, you know, and showed the, the red line or the blue line. And I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And who knows how old she is. And she's got it, but he can't celebrate he can't speak because he chose unbelief when the word from heaven came. She gestates along, and then we'll skip to verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. We're going to get to her story next week, but she's carrying the Christ in her. God in flesh is inside a teenager from Judea. I mean, it's a miracle. We'll look at it next week, but the power of the Spirit comes on her. She's carrying Christ. She literally is the first prototype of what a believer is. Every believer on planet earth carries the Christ inside them. Mary is the first one to do that. She literally carries him, obviously, in her. And she's carrying him around. And I'm telling you, there's stuff manifesting around her. Watch what happens here. Remember the prophecy, John the Baptist will be filled with the Spirit. As she entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth and when Elizabeth heard the greeting, the hi, Elizabeth, the hello, whatever she said, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was a fulfillment of the prophecy from the angel Gabriel. John the Baptist will be filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist, I mean, Amy, right, you all get, you women, I don't know what it's like, but you get the baby kicking inside you. It's a crazy deal. This was more than that. He leaped. How far did he jump? It seems like there's not a lot of room in there. 
But he leaped inside her womb, and he leaped not just by stretching out his bones and his muscles. He leaped because he was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on a fetus, filled it inside Elizabeth's womb, and is anointed from that time on. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is baptizing people from the womb. That's pretty good stuff. And he's doing it among a woman who's having a miracle happen to her. So she exclaimed with a loud voice, Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, blessed are you uh, among women, Mary? Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, she's talking about a baby in a womb, the mother of my Lord should come to me. She's feeling the presence and the authority. That's amazing. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So that's what, that's what she's saying, is that John the Baptist was filled with joy in the womb. That's awesome. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her because she had responded to the word of the Lord different. Here's my point. That's a great story. Isn't that a great story? And what I think it can do to encourage us is this, is that God likes to take barren places and produce miracles. He loves to take barren places and to bring his prophetic word and to release a prophetic manifestation out of that. It's an amazing thing that he takes a muted man and a barren woman, and he brings forth the one who prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is going to live an amazing life. It's going to be a glorious thing that's going to end with a beheading. He's going to make a way. He's going to baptize the Son of God. Amazing. And see the Spirit come down like a dove. It's a glorious thing in the advent of our Lord. And here's what I want to say to you about that. I wonder what you're thinking about your barren experience. I want you. I wonder what you're thinking about your barren spiritual life, your barren hopes and dreams, your bar- whatever it is that you prayed for. Because I promise you this: God doesn't won't just kind of work in those situations. He loves to work in those situations. He loves to take when there's no hope and to come and to break in with hope. He loves to do it. Zechariah and Elizabeth had given up on it. They were old enough. They were multi-generations away from the prophecies. They're tired. He can't hardly get his heart around this thing. And the angel deals with him. But once the baby's born, do you remember? They say, what do we name this baby? And he wrote down, John. And immediately, when he agreed with the word from heaven, his tongue was loosed. There's something in that for us. There's something in that for us. We do not have to fear the barren place. God can come and make the barren place fertile. He can not only make it fertile, he can actually, those prayers you've been praying for something to happen, he can take your something and make it supernatural. He really can in the midst of your suffering. And he can loose your tongue once you agree with heaven. Once we agree with the word of the Lord, he'll loose you to begin to walk forward in the destiny that God has for you. I believe that the Lord wants to engage you in new levels by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think Gabriel stands for heaven. Heaven's wanting to engage you fresh with his, their word, their government. Heaven, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Heaven on earth. Heaven wants to engage our hearts. We're all a little bit twisted with earthly thinking, earthly dis- despair, earthly potential. But we're walking with one who has eternal potential. And he's wanting to release that in us. And I believe this story stands for us as an encouragement to those that may feel old in your faith. 
may feel old in something you're asking for, I promise you, nothing in your life is too hard for God to work in the middle of. He actually wants to take the barrenness and bring forth fruitfulness and release a word that makes way for Jesus. That's what he does for these guys. In fact, while it's still gestating, while it's still working in you, he doesn't have to wait till the thing's born. He can fill it with the Spirit right now. God loves you. He's working on you and in you, and he wants to bring these things about. The first advent of Jesus is a telltale way that God works every time he brings himself forth. You and I are not, I mean, Mary's not the only one that carries Jesus. We carry him. We carry him around, and we can manifest him everywhere that we are in his presence. I believe that if we're truly walking by faith, and I'm not trying to make some imaginary place, because we suffer, we hurt, and we struggle. Anybody that's not preaching that is not preaching the whole balance of what's going on, but even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, you and I can carry the presence of Jesus around with us, and it can affect other people. It can begin to release blessing into their lives and to bring forth God's prophetic purpose around them. Last thing, I believe, and I'm not predicting, but I kind of am, that I believe that in the second advent, the coming of Christ, we're going to see the greatest move of the power of the Holy Spirit in the most barren places ever on planet Earth. I believe with all my heart, North Korea is going to become an amazing Antioch in Jerusalem for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got many prophecies about it. It's the worst for 15 years for killing Christians. But I'm telling you, there's missionaries smuggling Bibles. That place is going to turn around. And the barren places are going to become the fruitful places. Amen? That's going to happen in personal lives. It's going to happen in cities and nations. I've had people tell me, Wichita? What could come out of Wichita? Well, i tell you what could come out of Wichita is God could speak to a barren city. He could make it pregnant with the glory of God, and it actually ends up blessing a nation. What about that? And that ain't just trying to have city pride, but I got one place to live. It's hard to live in multiple locations with my body right now. When I get my resurrection body, I'm going to move around a lot, okay? But right now, I'm in Wichita, and I want my city right now in this hour to manifest the glory of God. Why would I waste my time living with average and mediocre, acting like lukewarm is normal? Lukewarm is not normal, okay? God wants to heat up our hearts and do something tremendous here, and not for the glory of any man or ministry, but for, for the glory of the man who will rule the planet, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can do this. In the last days, which I believe we believe in, I mean that we live in, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to move in the barren places, and I think angels are about to show up like we've never seen them before. I'm not preaching doctrine, and I just feel like I'm saying this, and I hope I didn't lose you conservative evangelicals, but I think angels still are alive. Anybody else? I think they're about to show up. We hear it all the time in the Middle East. They're having dreams of the man in white, Jesus showing up. Shoot, I just heard a story from Sam Brownback, right? Sam Brownback actually had a guy in India, he heard the story of where Jesus showed up bodily, somehow he says, to him after he tried to commit suicide. Turned his life around. This guy goes, he was an unbeliever. Hindu, Jesus showed up and told me why he's saving me. That's a pretty convincing sharing of the gospel, wouldn't you think? Christ right there. He's happening in dream, manifesting in dreams, manifesting awake to people, and his angels are on the move. I'm telling you, Gabriel's got some stuff to do in these last days. He's got a few Zacharias to go engage, to build some faith. We live in the greatest days ever on planet Earth. 
And here we are as we hurl toward the second coming. The advent of Jesus is near, the second advent, and we want to pray that our hearts should be ready. So I end with this, and I'll pray, and we'll move into a little lab time, but please, please shift your heart about your barren situation, all right? Please shift it. It's a furlough. When God wants to move on planet Earth, who's he go look for? Let me find an old barren woman and a virgin that's a teenager. That's how I'll do it. I'll bring the greatest move on planet Earth through those two situations. I love it. Barren and unfertile. Man, I, that's, just, that's just my game right there is what the Lord says, I think. And that makes me feel so good because I feel that way a lot of times. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus you bless your people tonight. God, I pray hope be placed where there's been hopelessness. I pray for the many Elizabeths in this room that are barren in the spirit realm, in the spirit, in, in that nature, in the soul. Lord, God, I'm asking that you would replace uh, hopelessness with hope. You would replace uh, that barrenness with fruitfulness. God, that you would engage their hearts, that those that are in unbelief, you say something stunning through the Bible to us or somebody prophesies and then we disbelieve like Zechariah, Lord, break the unbelief off of our hearts. May we believe big things of a big God. I pray we keep believing to the end and we never stop believing because you're such a good, good God. Oh God, how we love you, how we bless you and praise you. Thank you for the testimony of your first advent and the gospel that changes our lives. Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, break in and make the earth what it was always supposed to be. Until that day, give us grace to stay in step with you in Jesus' name. Amen.